Today is the last sermon in our ser- series on the book of James, which uh, the subtitle would be Putting Your Faith to Work. So we have been going through the book of James over the last number of weeks, and this is the ninth message on the book of James. And so uh, today we're going to look at the last half of chapter five. There's only five chapters in the book, and we'll look at verses 13 to 20. So please turn there so long, and please keep your Bible open during our time of sharing, so that as we reference a verse, you can just immediately just pick up on it, because we're going to carry on reading piece by piece as we go through the message. So I believe it's fair to say that we have found the book of James to be a very practical book of the Bible. Can you agree with that? It's practical. It touches on a lot of practical things. I tend to be quite a practical person, so for me it's like right down my alley. Now, just to briefly remind ourselves of some of the topics covered during the series were some of the following things. Trials and testing. The need for heavenly wisdom, not glorifying wealth. These were some of the main things that were seen in the book of James. Handling temptations, saying no to uncleanness, being a doer of the word. That's so clear in James. Not discriminating comes out in the book of James. Controlling your tongue, that's a huge one basically takes up the entire middle chapter, chapter 3. Being a humble person comes out of the book of James. The misery that comes from corruption is spoken about in this book. Treating laborers fairly also comes out in James, and it says the the cry of the ill-treated laborer reaches the Lord of heaven. Wow. Just one other aspect is... uh, patiently waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. So, uh, many important topics that are covered in the book of James. Now, let's get straight into our first point of four points, and then we'll begin reading our scripture passage. Point number one, our automatic response should be to turn to God in prayer. Now, just let that sink in for a moment. Our automatic response should be to turn to God in prayer. Say that aloud with me, please. Our automatic response should be to turn to God in prayer. Now, this passage of James, I actually love the way it starts off, the way it begins today. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. I'm going to stop right there. It's interesting. And there is an emphasis which at first glance you might not pick up here in verse 13 and 14 of James 5. But essentially, it is saying, listen, it's saying in every circumstance of life, We should be the ones that are turning to God in prayer. In every circumstance that we face and different things that we're encountering, we should turn to God. It should be our automatic response that this is what we do. We pray. We turn to God in prayer. And so it's kind of like 
James is saying, well, listen, are you, are you suffering? Is there, is there anybody that's suffering here today? Well, well, well pray. Just, just pray. Talk to God in prayer. And is there anyone that's happy? Or are you happy, happy, happy? Well, well, then sing praise. Sing praise to the Lord. And by the way, praise is a form of prayer because prayer is communicating with God. And when you praise Him, you're communicating with God. So he says, well, anybody happy? Anybody cheerful? Well, why don't you sing songs? Why don't you praise God? Why don't you pray through praising God? And it also says, are you sick? Would you pray? And so here the emphasis is pray, pray, pray. And three examples or three situations are given when we should turn to God in prayer. And it's like James is saying, listen, folks, the best course of action in any situation that you find yourself in, in any circumstance, is to pray. It's what we should be doing. It's what believers should be doing. It's the lifestyle that we cultivate. We pray. When something happens, we pray. When you're baking in the kitchen, you pray. When you're jogging along on the road, you pray. When you're at gym, you pray. And this is the lifestyle that is meant to be created. And so James says that this is the best course in any situation, best course of action. And it should be our automatic response. It should be our first response. But so often, God is not our first response. <laughs> so often it is not the case, and we'd rather speak to somebody else. We'd rather tell somebody else, and I'd rather pick up my phone and phone my buddy and tell them about that, or, or maybe you've got a great girlfriend, and you, you know, ladies, they like to talk to their girlfriends, like, hey, girl, you would not believe I got these shoes, and that kind of thing, you know? But we always want to tell everybody else, but what if you tell God about the nice shoes that you got? <laughs> Ooh, okay. I think I lost one or two people there. <laughs> and so this passage is encouraging us that, listen, there's a way of doing life when you tell God, when you talk to God, when you sing to God, when you pray to God. And this is what is being encouraged. encouraged. You happy? Pray. You sad? Pray. You sick? Pray. This is the way we should do it. Now, my question is this. Why... Is it necessary that we should pray? Why should we pray? What is the big reason behind it? And I'd like to say the following, that we should pray because it invites God into every situation that you are dealing with. It draws Him into every moment of your life. And this is beautiful. May I remind you, child of God, that you were created for relationship. Your heavenly Father, even though you might not like aspects about yourself and you might not love yourself enough, I want to tell you, He loves you abundantly. He rejoices over you with singing. He loves to spend time with you. He, love it when, he loves it when you pray to Him because those moments as you just turn to God and you pray, you're inviting Him in. And you're inviting him to play this wonderful part in your life. And then you don't have a distant relationship with God. You don't feel like God is way out there. You know that you're in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You're in fellowship with God. He created you for relationship. 
And so this aspect of praying invites God to be involved in every situation. Pray, pray, pray. And now we can understand why it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing. And so that is fully possible if it's a lifestyle that you talk to the Lord. And so it's like James is saying, well, would you just let God be the center of your life? Would you, would you let him be the love of your life? Now, let me give you a little example. Imagine you've got a grandfather. And so this grandfather, let's say he's 76 years of age, and, and uh, he's sitting, sitting there in the family room, and, and he's got the responsibility of keeping an eye on the grandkids, and, and there's two young grandkids there. Let's say they're little boys, and they've each got their little car, and their little toy, and so on. So what happens is they start to play around, and it's like, oh. Grandpa, look how fast my truck can go. And then the next one jumps up and says, Hey, Grandpa, look, I've even got a little winch on the front of my truck. And Grandpa's like, Wow, he's delighted in the moment. And they, they're showing the different things. And what is happening is that they are drawing the grandfather into those moments. It's such a beautiful thing. You know what? It makes the heart of the grandfather swell. And so they are sharing their happy moments. They're happy about their little truck. Grandfather, look here. Granddad, look here. And then sometimes what often happens is the, 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 the little toy ends up breaking. Have you ever noticed how that happens on Christmas Day? The radio-controlled car works for five minutes, and then you want to just go and, you know, blow your top. It's broken. But what do they do? The little kid might go to Grandpa. Grandpa, my car's not working. <laughs> And so there's a little bit of a similarity there because what are they doing? They're inviting the grandpa into all these moments of their lives, the happy moments and the sad moments. And maybe it is similar to that in our relationship with our heavenly father. He loves to be included in every moment of your life. Now, we shouldn't only pray to include him in every situation, but we should also pray because God brings intervention, and he brings change, and he brings breakthrough. I heard a pastor say that one of the reasons why we pray is we pray to see things changed. So yes, we pray for relationship and community, but we also pray because we're dealing with very real things in life, and we need God to help us. We need God to intervene in situations. And so unashamedly, we can ask, and we will receive. Now, the theme of this closing section of James is undoubtedly prayer in these couple of verses from verse 13 to 20. And uh, prayer is actually mentioned no less than seven times in these few verses of Scripture. I also found this very encouraging because our theme as a local church this year has been, Lord, teach us to pray. And here, yet again, prayer comes up. I find that as an encouragement. And I've, I've, I've realized that God works with such detail in our lives. This makes me rejoice in the Lord. And so here James is painting a picture of believers who have a fruitful prayer life. And maybe you can be inspired a little bit today that your prayer life can be more active and more fruitful. So James paints this picture of believers who, who are praying at, at every circumstance, everything that comes up. And these believers are those who have discovered the joy of praying in every circumstance. And it is a joy. 
They love to pray, pray, and pray some more. Listen to the statements that's on your screen. Faith's finest work is for believers to be effectively engaged in prayer. Can you say amen? amen? So that's number one. Our automatic response should be to turn to God in prayer. Number two, calling for the elders. Please say that. Calling for the elders. Now, this is something that I believe has maybe been a little underemphasized in the last 10 or 15 years in church circles, and maybe it needs to be elevated that much more. So in verse 14 and 15 of James 5, it says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, this passage presupposes involvement in the local church. Because how can you call for the elders of the church if you're not in a local church? And those people that are listening to me on, on streaming and on television, I want to remind you that you need to belong into a local church. The Lord says, do not forget the gathering together of the saints. It doesn't say, do not neglect the streaming of the saints. Now, we're glad that you are streaming, but at the same time, you need to be plugged into a body, a local church family. And so it presupposes involvement in the local church. And let me tell you, I am a firm believer in the local church, in the God-ordained pattern of the local church. And I want to say to you, the local church is vitally important. And if you believe scripture accurately, then that is something that you can agree with. The, 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 the local church is vitally important. I want to tell you, there is no organization on the face of the earth that is even remotely close to the church of Jesus Christ. And the Lord said that he will reveal his manifold wisdom through the church. The church is God's plan. And the church remains God's plan through which his message is dispersed far and wide across the world. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. It's God's idea. No doubt about it. It is God's idea. And so I believe that God wants every one of his children to be engaged in the local church. Now, some people say, well, I was hurt by the church. And so... I don't want to go back. I think they're a bunch of hypocrites, you know. I was hurt by the church. Well, let me ask people that are listening to this, how long will you hide behind that excuse before you deal with it and get over it? I want to tell you, Jesus Christ values his church, and therefore you and I should value the church of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. We should value it. But you say, I was hurt. Well, you know what? I have also been hurt in church circles in the past. But if I got stuck at that offense, I would have never seen the future that God had in store for me. And some of you don't realize you keep yourself in prison when you are in offense to what somebody did years ago to you. Come on, move on, move on, move on beyond this. And let me tell you a little solution here. And I believe that this is important. If you 
or a situ- in a situation where you've been hurt in the church, the first thing that you do is you choose to forgive. The second thing that you do is you bless. The third thing that you do is you move on from that offense. And then the fourth thing that you do is you value the church of Jesus Christ. We must love the church. Jesus loves the church. Value the church of Jesus. Why don't you say to the person next to you, value the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, tell them that. Now, in terms of this aspect of calling for the elders, realize this, that uh, we can all pray for the sick. Every believer is anointed to minister to the sick, so don't limit healing the sick to the elders alone. Having said that, it is my understanding that sometimes when there's a more serious case of illness, it should be brought to the elders And the prayer of faith, the Bible says, will save the sick. It will produce results. And in all of this aspect, um, I also want to just remind you that there is a practical side to this because the elders cannot rush off to every single person that is sick all the time, else they will be unable to cope and they will just, you know, destroy themselves. And that's why there's another scripture that we should keep in mind here, and it's from Ephesians 4, which speaks of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So I want to remind you, every one of you can pray for the sick, but I believe that there are instances when there's a very serious situation, and it must be brought to the elders. And may I remind you that every Sunday after the service, We have our pastors and our shepherds. We have elders in the front that are ready to pray for you and anoint you with oil and pray that God would heal your body and bring deliverance into that situation. And so I want to say to you, take advantage of that opportunity. And in the same breath, I want to say this, that you, if you are facing a serious illness, and have not called for the elders of the church, then you may be neglecting an important principle in the word of God. Don't get cross with me for that, because this is what the word of the Lord says, and we want to do what his word says. Can I get an amen? Amen. Got a little lonely for a moment there. (laughs) Now, what is the significance of the oil? Because it says, anointing you with oil in the name of the Father, The significance of oil, oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. I believe that also in addition to the symbolism of the Holy Spirit, it is a sign of the power of God being activated in that moment of prayer right then. And so it's wonderful. As I was looking and preparing for this message, I saw that in many translations, it says olive oil specifically. And, uh, but I have known of uh, a men's camp where the guy, they didn't have oil, they got the dipstick, and they took the oil from the dipstick, and they prayed for the person. So, I don't know. I, I'm not going to recommend Castrol GTX, but... <laughs> okay, let's go with olive oil, people. Let's stick with olive oil from the Holy Land. Yes. <laughs> All right. 
Now, in verse 15, look at the verse, first part of verse 15. It says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Notice those words, prayer of faith. Please say that with me. A little louder, prayer of faith. Now, who is expected to release faith in a situation like this? Is it the sick person that must release faith? Or is it the elders that must release faith? Interesting question. Very interesting. In terms of this, I believe that both parties are expected to put their faith into action, the sick person as well as the elders. And you know what happens is the sick person, they demonstrate faith firstly by calling for the elders to pray for them. That's a sign of faith. And secondly, when the prayer is offered, they are agreeing there in faith for the results of this prayer. They're not just sitting there like a blob, if I could put it that way. No, they are agreeing together in that prayer. But also, in addition to the faith of the sick, the, the sick person, the elders demonstrate faith by praying with belief, with conviction and with certainty that God is able and will bring change into the situation. And so I believe that there is faith present on both sides. But perhaps the major portion of faith should actually be forthcoming from the elders. Because it says that the prayer of faith, here the elders are offering the prayer of faith. There needs to be faith on both sides, no doubt. But I want to tell you that puts a responsibility on the elders of the church that we need to be operating in faith. And so in saying that, I'm not putting myself in a comfortable position. I'm saying I have to stretch myself and I have to believe for change in situations. And so do all of the elders. And I believe that that is wonderful where the church is not saying, oh, no, no, you're not healed because of your faith, sick person. No, we need to take responsibility and say, thank you, Lord, that the faith will be released, that you've given us gifts of working of healings and miracles, and we will operate accordingly. Say amen, somebody. In verse 15, look at the second part. It says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I just need to say this. Listen carefully. In certain instances, sickness can be as a result of sin. Do you agree with that? But it's very important to know that that is not necessarily the case at all. But it can be in some instances as a result of sin. And nevertheless, in the case of sin, when a prayer time with the elders takes place, there is an opportunity for confession. If there's something that needs to be confessed, confess it right there when the elders are praying for you. Confess and be forgiven, and the Lord brings healing into that situation. And so just look at verse 16 then as we carry on. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then it says this, I love this, the effective, fervent Prayer of a righteous man avails much. Praise the Lord. Now, on to point number three. Number three, the example of Elijah. Please say that with me. The example of Elijah. Look at verse 17 and 18. 
It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. Now, as you look at those two verses, can I ask you which little phrase stands out for you the most as you look at those two verses? I'd like to suggest that we should take special note of the first part of verse 17, which says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Say that with me. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. This should get us thinking because he was a man just like us. Now, you're going to see the significance of this in a moment's time. You see, most of us would see Elijah as the hero. I mean, there he is on Mount Carmel, calling down fire from heaven. The prophets of Baal are being slayed. And, and think about that powerful moment. Think about the miracles. Think about the boldness and all that took place in this man of God, Elijah. And yet here in the book of James, God says that Elijah was just like us. So if Elijah could be used, yet he was just like us. I want to tell you, people just like you and me, we can be used of God. May faith arise in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, verse 17 in the Amplified Bible, it says there, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. And maybe too often, we tend to put biblical characters on pedestals. We think that oh, somehow they must be so different to us. They must be superhuman. I mean, they were called and, and used of God, and, and they were in the Bible, so surely they must be superhuman, and, and we don't understand this all. And, and then you might say, well, John, I, hey, hey, I'm no Elijah. I, I'm no King David. I'm no Joshua, and I want to say to you unashamedly, yes, you are, because basically you're saying, I'm no great person of God, and I want to say wrong, yes, you are, because Elijah, who was used so mightily, was just like us, and God can use you so mightily, because you have a nature just like that man who was mightily used of God. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Realize it. God can use you powerfully. God can use you powerfully. And I want to tell you that you even have advantages over these Old Testament guys because now the Spirit of the Lord is living within you and you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. They only had the power of the Lord coming upon them for certain acts, but we have the power of God dwelling within us. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And so if Elijah could earnestly pray and plug up the heavens, then you can earnestly pray and see miracles. If, you, if God could respond 
to Elijah's prayer. He can respond to your prayer. And that's why here this phrase comes in. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Because James is creating the connection between Elijah being used by God and you as a godly child of God being used by God as well. And so I pray that a gift of faith will be released in your heart this morning. That you don't just think, oh, it's just those great people. God can use you in a great way. Tell the person next to you, God can use you in a great way. Tell them that. Number four, as we are heading in for a landing, number four, God could use you to turn someone back to him. Please say this, God could use you to turn someone back to him. Verse 19 and 20, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, we've probably all encountered someone who has stopped actively serving the Lord. And maybe you can think of somebody right now and you think that, yeah, there was a time when they were, they were really serving the Lord, but they're really not serving the Lord They've drifted off. They've backslidden. But hear this child of God. You. You can be used to bring them back to God. And maybe you are thinking that somebody else should do it. Meanwhile, you, their friend. Meanwhile, you spend a lot of time with them at the office. Meanwhile, you engage with them a lot. And you're thinking, leave it up to somebody else. And I want to say to you that you can be used to bring somebody back who has drifted off from the Lord. And I want to encourage you regarding people like that. Maybe you have a person in mind, as I just mentioned, that I want to say, please don't give up on them. Have a heart for them. Go after them. Get them, get them, get them. That should be the passion of our hearts. It should. Galatians 6 verse 1 in the NLT says the following. It says, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Now, I want to refer to Michael Kelly. And I'm not talking about the movie star Michael Kelly. This is the Christian author Michael Kelly. He makes a statement which, as I've read it, I found it to be fascinating. Listen carefully. Wandering from the faith usually begins with wandering from the church. Isn't that interesting? It bears repeating. Wandering from the faith usually begins with wandering from the church. What a thought-provoking statement. You might think that that sounds a little bit extreme, John. But if you meditate on that a little bit, I think you'll find that there's a tremendous amount of merit, of truth in that statement. And then Michael Kelly gives three reasons to support the statement. Reason number one, when we leave the church, we stop being reminded. Number two, when we leave the church, we embrace self-reliance. I don't need you. I don't need Christian community. I just need me. That's what we're saying. And number three, when we leave the church, we create isolation. 
And the dangerous thing about isolation is when you create isolation, you're effectively creating a gap. And may I submit to you that when you create a gap, something comes and fills that gap. And most often, it is not something that draws you closer to Jesus. It is something that draws you away. And so we need to realize that drifting from the faith usually starts with drifting from the church. And so the reality is, can I encourage you, child of God, to realize today that the church is a wonderful gift to you. Does anybody celebrate the local church, the church of Jesus Christ? It is a wonderful gift to you. Let's cherish it. But if somebody wanders off, we can't just ignore that. It says in Matthew 18, as I'm drawing to a close, 18 verse 12, it says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that has wandered off? And the answer is, he will. And I want to say to you that this scripture shows us that, listen, Jesus has a heart for those who've wandered off. He has a heart for the prodigals. And I just want to declare, in Jesus' name, for people that have wandered off from the church in the city, and those that have wandered off from the faith in the name of Jesus in the spiritual realm, we say, come home in Jesus' name. Won't you say that with me? Come home in Jesus' name. We call them back. We call the prodigals back in the name of Jesus. This statement is very interesting. Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one seems crazy until you are that one. Then it seems glorious. Now, the last verse we're going to read, it's on your screen, it's from the message. It's verse 19 and 20 from the message translation. It says, my dear brothers, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. And you will have rescued perilous lives from... Sorry? <laughs> and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction. And I say, Lord, may we be moved in our hearts to draw people back to you. Can you say amen? amen? Just to recap very quickly, four points. Number one, our automatic response should be to turn to God in prayer. Number two, calling for the elders. Number three, the example of Elijah, who had a nature just like you. It was used by God, therefore you could be used by God. Number four, God could use you to turn someone back to Him. Have you received the word of the Lord this morning? Yes. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen.